Dr. Rhoda Burroughs, and we're going to kick off this first episode of um, our Mountain Time Almanac podcast, um, which is basically based out of Bear Butte Gardens outside of Sturgis, South Dakota. And we're going to do a series of podcast episodes on the topic of food safety and directly related to the Food Safety Modernization Act. And Dr. Burroughs is our best contact and expert in the state of South Dakota to speak with about the ins and outs of FSMA, as they like to call it, FSMA, for the Food Safety Modernization Act in the North Central Region, which the state of South Dakota is part of the North Central Region. Um, Dr. Burroughs uh, is someone that I've known for a number of years now. I believe it goes back to when I trained as a master gardener, maybe even a little bit before that, and uh, she was in that training. And so I got to had the pleasure of listening to her knowledge and um, stories and anecdotes about gardening through that training. And I've um, appreciated her input and assistance on a number of projects since then. So that was probably 2003, 2004, somewhere in there, I think. So Dr. Burroughs, Rhoda, let's dive into this topic of FSMA. And I'm not even really sure how to start it, but you've done a number of trainings on it. So I'm just going to let you take it here for a while. All right. One of the things that I point out to people that was that FSMA was something new in that Congress decided to change the responsibility for the produce safety from the USDA to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And so that was that was a pretty big change. And the FDA spent a lot of years coming up with the the produce safety rule. And in fact, it's still in transition because uh, they're still finalizing some of the rule on on uh, production water. So it's it's been a, a long process of coming up with draft rules and getting feedback from producers such as yourselves and, and making adjustments, what's reasonable. Um, and I think they've come up with with some pretty good guidelines. Um, unlike GAPS, the FSMA rules tend to give a lot more leeway to the farmer uh, rather than say you must do. Uh, for the most part, it's make a decision based on, a reasonable decision based on safety ideas. They give you some guidelines, give you information, um, and then a lot of times it's up to the farmer to make the final call of what's reasonably safe. And so um, you see that particularly, for example, with wildlife. And when it was first published, people worried that uh, you would be asked to totally 
exclude wildlife from your fields. And, you know, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Birds fly over and, and uh, uh, leave their droppings. And so there's ways to deal with that. When you're picking produce, you watch for any animal droppings, mammals or birds, and and you don't pick any that that have been dropped on or are right in the vicinity. And in fact, the FDA says you determine how close to that dropping is safe to pick. And so as long as you can justify it reasonably, um, you're good to go. So there's a lot of, the the rule covers from even before you plant, what was in that field before you planted, all the way through harvest and packing. So it, it's a very comprehensive rule. And it has a lot of uh, good information to keep in mind as you're, as you're going through uh, your season and developing a, a food safety plan for your farm. Yes, I agree. And I have um, kind of on the periphery been watching the, I guess, progress and changes that have, you know, come across the information that I receive and webinars that I attend and, and trainings with you on on that, how it is, it is changing over the years. Uh, and, and of course, those rules, food safety rules, that sort of thing are going to change just naturally, I guess, as more information is obtained and as producers give their feedback about what is um, what they're able to do as they're out there just trying to grow food too. But it's been interesting to me with, you know, like the water topics and it, there's, there's so much to it and um, just trying to, to make that a manageable um, goal, I guess, for everyone. And at, at Bear Butte Gardens here, maybe one of the things we could talk about next is the who does it apply to, who's exempt from it, and all that. Um, our, our production here is, is pretty low. We don't make a lot of money on, uh, you know, the, the vegetables that we grow um, just because we're a small, very, very small scale producer. And so we are exempt, but we really try to keep the food safety rules at the top of mind as we're doing everything and as we're training in new people to help with harvesting and that sort of thing too. Um, and so we've got ways to go. We've still, we've always got some things that we want to improve on each year, but um, what, is this a good time? Do you think Rhoda to just kind of talk about who is, who does it, it applies to everyone I feel like, but who actually needs can to. I, can I jump in <laughs> yes. first? Okay. So I'm going to take a couple steps back and kind of just bring up that uh, FISMA is basically kind of like a base guideline for growers to go by when they're growing food and when they're harvesting food um, to essentially not spread various food contaminants, um, which are mainly come back down to uh, like fecal matter and things like that. Um, I just wanted to throw that in there before you guys get into who, <laughs> <laughs> who can be, it applies to and who is exempt and stuff like that. So, <laughs> Right. We didn't, didn't really uh, 
cover uh, what we're talking about in terms of <laughs> <laughs> food safety. And, and FSMA doesn't deal very much at all with physical contaminants. You know, if you're packing up lettuce and, and uh, a nail falls into your package or, or something like that. Uh, it's it's mostly focused, I'd say 95% focused on uh, bacterial and viral and uh, other microorganisms that can make people sick. And we recognize that we're not growing in a sterile environment. So what we're doing is practices that reduce risk. Uh, we can't 100% eliminate it, but... Uh, right. Yep. It can go a long ways to reduce it. <laughs> yes, I agree. The other thing I should mention is that the produce rule, uh, unlike GAPS, uh, applies only to uh, produce that's generally consumed raw. And they actually have a list uh, of produce that is or isn't covered. and. If it's not on the exemption list, it's considered to be covered. Okay. By covered meaning if you grow this, you should <laughs> do these practices. Right. And I found out last last week in a conference that cranberries are not on the list. Oh. And cranberries are generally consumed <laughs> cooked. I don't know of anybody who eats raw cranberries. But because they're not on the list, cranberry growers fall under FSMA. So they're trying to rectify that with the FDA, but so it just brought out how important that list really is. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so you were just at the FISMA conference, the North Central Region conference last week. Um, yes. And so, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it was a, a yearly meeting of all the trainers uh, for the FISMA uh, uh, produce rule, um, a variation of, of number of different FDA uh, officials, some inspectors, some state inspectors. Uh, some states will go out and, and inspect farms that fall under the rule. Um, they have agreements with the FDA. There are like four or five states that do not have those agreements, and South Dakota is one of them. So in our case, if we have a covered farm, uh, the FDA personnel themselves would come out and do the inspection, and it'd be somebody maybe from Chicago or or could be from anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If your if your produce sales now this is all produce whether it's consumed raw or not if all your produce sales over a three year period average under twenty nine thousand a year you are exempt from the rule and you don't have to worry about it if you're over that amount. There's also an exemption for uh, if your food sales are less than 585000 a year, quite a jump there, um, and over half those sales 
are direct to a qualified end user. So a qualified end user could be a restaurant. It could be a retail food. It could be, for example, if you're selling directly to an institution, if you're selling to a local grocery store, all those would count. What people have to be careful of, this now is not talking produce sales, it's talking food sales. So in this case, it will include, if you uh, have livestock on your farm, it will include livestock unless it's calves being sold to a finisher. But if your cows are going to butcher, uh, that would count. Um, and almost all small grains would count under that. So wheat, barley, corn, uh, soybeans, unless they are going uh, into ethanol production. But those are all considered if it's going to f feed a person or an animal. It's a food sale. So you got to be really careful if you're a mixed operation between, you know, sort of traditional farming and a produce uh produce sales. So that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on once you get near that 29,000 and, and are wondering if you can get the qualified exemption for direct sales. All right. And that, that dollar amount goes up with inflation, correct? It goes up every year. Okay. And I haven't seen the new, <laughs> usually it's, it's the 29,000 goes up oh, about 600 a year. I'm thinking it'll be quite a bit higher jump this this <laughs> next year. Yeah. But the when you average, you have to average the the amount for that non-adjusted year. <laughs> it gets a little more complicated. But. Yeah. Um, I also believe that um, if you do fall under those exemptions and stuff, um, that doesn't mean that your farm shouldn't be prepared to put. Uh, the FISMA rules in place just in case. Right. And, and I encourage all our producers to take food safety training because, uh, one, if there's, if there's a problem and it's traced back to your farm or thought to be from your farm even, uh, it can be devastating in, in terms of uh, just financially you could lose your farm. Um, and none of us wants to be responsible for somebody getting sick or even dying. So uh, we want to make sure that that uh, we're we're being uh, careful with how we with how we do things. It is at this time that we are going to take a short ad break. Are you looking for more of our content? Go ahead and follow us on social media platforms to get more. Follow us on Facebook at The Farm Stand at Bearview Gardens, Instagram at farmstand underscore Bearview Gardens, our farm Instagram, Bearview Gardens, and our website, www.bearviewgardens.com. These are the best ways to stay up to date with what we are up to. It always changes, so keep an eye out for more posts and updates. You know, in a lot of ways, what farmers are doing are handling food. And so every time we're going out into the field, we need to, to think about, you know, if I if I did this in a restaurant, would this be a good practice? Kind of need to think about that on the farm too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when it comes to 
um, like what produce items you should be worried about. It pretty much is all of them is my understanding um, because pathogens can show up on just about anything. Anything we're restricting here or talking primarily about things that will be consumed raw, but yes, some are higher risk than others. For example, cantaloupe with the, uh, with the netting on the outside can capture bacteria and kind of hide it and, and create little crevices where it's a little bit more moist and so it can thrive. Um, so, and it's it's laying directly on the ground during production. So, cantaloupe is one of those very high risk ones. Uh, but we often see recalls on lettuce. Again, it's right next to the ground. Um, so, so those are salad greens and and melons are fairly high risk. Tomatoes are a little less risk if they're if they're trellis, so they're up off the ground. But we see a lot of recalls with tomatoes as well, and that's probably because we grow so many tomatoes and, mm-hmm. and eat so many tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the different uh, pathogens that are basically a concern when it comes to food safety. Um, so there's three primary groups of pathogenic microorganisms. Um, that are main concerns, and one of those being bacteria, um, for example, like salmonella and E. coli. Um, and then another one is viruses, which is like the norovirus and hepatitis A, um, also parasites. Um, and I cannot even pronounce the examples on that one. I just know that they're bad. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're, that those three are the only ones. There's definitely more. Um, that can cause foodborne illness outbreaks. Um, and we hear more and more about them every day because I think the technology that we have access to is making it easier for us to trace it back. And unfortunately, there are still cases that happen of people well, getting right. sick. And information is shared instantaneously yeah. anymore. So <laughs> that's it's, true. It's not, a, it's not, you know, weeks later, a month later that you hear about it. It's, oh, today. You know, there was um, something detected. Sometimes it does take them a little while, though, to figure out where it came from. And I always find that part of of the trainings very interesting, you know, of how it can be, where it exactly um, a, a bacteria or something gets traced back to in the process. It's not always. I subscribe, excuse mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I subscribe to an email from the FDA on, on their investigation current investigations and there's quite a high percentage that never does get identified (laughs) really so that's interesting i'll try to stay on script here (laughs) i can go off (laughs) on tangents very easily i (laughs) highly encourage tangents because that's what makes good content (laughs) so so okay so let's go let's go to your your conference that you were just at rhoda like mm-hmm. what, what were some of the, did you have some surprise information that came to you or just really interesting things that, that you thought, wow, I hadn't thought about that before. Or, I mean, maybe your level of education is so so beyond mine that you're just like, nope, I've heard it. I've heard it. And I've heard it again, but every now and again, I'll hear an example. It's like, oh yeah, I would have never thought of that. 
well, the cranberries were, yeah. <laughs> were <new> to me. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, I'd like to see the raw cranberry eater out there. I really would. <laughs> how many do they get through at a time? Like, how many can they put in their mouth? I honestly chew? can't even imagine what a raw cranberry tastes like. They're, well, yeah, and they're not... Probably a lot like a choke cherry. If you... Yeah, but much, yeah. much denser than that. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. What are some of the most common, you said muskmelon or cantaloupe. Um, what are some of the other really common areas that, uh, of course, greens? We hear about that, it seems like, right. several times a year, either romaine or spinach. Or I'm lettuce. really curious about, like, zucchinis and cucumbers, because those are, I mean, you get bush cucumbers and, like, your squash. But they have a harder like a harder shell on the outside. Oh yeah, I, I guess, guess that's and true. Yeah. Too, I mean cucumbers you do Yeah, when they're when they're tender, you're gonna eat the whole thing. But right. mm-hmm. most people will peel them. Yeah. Yeah. So that that helps. Although, you know, can't all peel off so don't eat the rind. But yeah. But uh, uh sprouts of course are very high risk, but I don't know if we have any sprouts growers in South Dakota. Microgreens are a little less of an issue, but quite frequently I have someone ask me if I've thought about growing sprouts and I mm-hmm. usually always reply, well, I thought about it, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just not interested in going down that, you know, risky avenue of yeah. spreading some sort of contamination. And yeah. I know that that's a, a favorite area of focus if someone you know, at the the right people heard that, oh, they're growing food safety or health department or whatever heard that, oh, they're growing sprouts. Well, let's go check into that. I think that right. would be a pretty immediate response. And so I, I just, in fact, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't even go looking for sprouts anymore. So yeah. <laughs> with sprouts, is it just that much more dangerous because it's um, like you cut them down so close to the soil or... Like what's what's the major health concerns when it comes to regarding sprouts? With sprouts, if there's contaminant on the seed, is is the main issue because mostly you're growing in a fairly sterile environment, but you can get you can get uh, E. coli and and other contaminants on the seed, and then it's in a warm, moist environment, so it's perfect uh, environment for the bacteria to grow okay and, yep. and multiply so that's yeah. that's the main thing so um, I'm really happy you said that because that's kind of goes into the next little header I have um, which is bacteria in the farm environment um, so under the ideal conditions which are the ones that Rhoda just mentioned um, bacteria can double every 20 minutes so if you have 20 it can go to uh, 20 to 40 minutes bacteria will go from two to four 40 minutes to two hours will go from four to 64 which I thought that was quite a huge jump but then this next one just like really (laughs) really (laughs) was like wow (laughs) so if bacteria has two hours to eight hours um, it will go from 64 to I can't even say that number. Million. 16, yeah, six, over, 16, over million. 16 million. That is just so crazy yeah. to me. And yeah. that was one in 
you can read some of the reports uh, online of of various food safety outbreaks, and and one of the ones with the melons was uh, they were putting it through a pack line, so it was still moist and there was no dryer. So they put it through the pack line. It was moist and then uh, was in a container waiting to go into the cooler. But they'd wait until they did a whole whole run before they put it in. So it could be sitting out for like four, five hours. Oh, my and gosh. That's enough for those, <laughs> as you that saw, is... 16 million bacteria. <laughs> I can't. Okay. Just the thought of something sitting out that you know, is cut or washed or whatever for five hours. The food manager inside me just like cries a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. You should see Kiara in the kitchen out here. (laughs) If you you set anything down that's supposed to be going in the cooler, there's just like this immediate response from her. Why are you setting that there? Yeah. Well, first, where are you setting it? And then why? Yes. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that the appropriate place? And then, mm-hmm. and then just the disapproval, the look, the the look. look. it's kind of like having mom in the kitchen. It's just like, Michelle, really? So, yeah. Um, but mm. if you, if you're coming from the farmer end, those are things you might not think about. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. You're out there on a busy day trying to get your harvest in, do X number of things, you know, and maybe you have your delivery that later that day or first thing in the morning, you're just trying to get things harvested. So next, um, I'm just going to kind of do a little bit about viruses. Um, so viruses, you know, don't usually reproduce themselves. Um, they need a host, um, which it Viruses are usually spread by people, which is like food handlers or your delivery or your harvesters, basically anyone that's touching the food. Um, and the situations can vary um, depending on what what may go wrong with the, the person. Um, but it's very, very easy to spread um, if you don't have the, the practices um, in place. Um, and and then, that's where that hand washing really comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then parasites also need a host um, to multiply, um, but they can also be very stable in an environment. Um, they mainly spread through water and fecal material, and that's kind of usually where you see um, it most is within your um, if your water's not tested or, you know, if someone goes to the bathroom and they don't wash their hands or, you know, they go into a, a porta potty and they don't change their shoes or whatever the situation may be. Um, right. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I got on parasites. <laughs> I'd like to mention one thing about viruses that that was new to me, and that's that they're not controlled or at least some of them are not controlled very well by hand sanitizers. Oh, yes, yes. And, and uh, you know, during flu and cold season, we think we can get by with hand sanitizers. Well, <laughs> and, and, normal virus in particular. 
And during uh, COVID, you know, there was hand sanitizers everywhere you right. went. And I kept saying, hey, let's just, let's all wash our hands too. Let's, <laughs> let's, yes. let's not forget we need to wash our hands. Hand sanitizer <laughs> is not a good, not a good hand washing replacement. No. Right. It's, it's great when you're at the store and you don't, but I really like it when they also have wipes there available too. Right. And, yeah. you know, you can kind of double attack things, but. Yeah. I worked in an after school program for years and there were some kids that just never washed their hands. They just use hand sanitizer all the time. Oh boy. It would just be like, all right, when you get here, we'll all go to the restroom and wash hands together because (laughs) it's just a very basic concept that has kind of been Mm -hmm. lost with the advent of hand sanitizer. Right. I think now we're just kind of at the section where um, we can discuss what challenges producers can face uh, when it comes to produce safety. Um, Honestly, my number one is like training. Training may not be readily available. Um, I think, I think for the most part it is Mm -hmm. now anymore. Um, But you know, that kind of boils and we can talk, that's like a whole nother section is training and employees and stuff. But. um, And that is actually one thing that is required by, uh, the FISMA produce rule is training of, of employees. And we do actually now have some, some like flip charts and so forth that can be helpful to growers. So uh, those are available now. That I think can be an awesome resource, especially if there's pictures, especially yep. when you have That's... volunteers and stuff, you never know what they're, education level maybe you never know what their language speaking abilities are so pictures right. are always super nice right. um, and, and regionally we've been reaching out to audiences that that english may not be their primary language or um working with the plains growers where, where we can't use powerpoints <laughs> so so uh, people have been creative about coming up with it some new resources for training those kinds of audiences. Yes. Um, But some other challenges um, can be that a lot of fruits and vegetables are consumed raw. um, So there's not that cooking step or what, you know, that extra kill step, so to say, that can destroy the pathogens. Um, And we kind of talked about that a little bit. But then there's, um, you know, microorganisms are not easily seen either hence the term micro. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, like cantaloupes have the rough surfaces, the leafy greens have the large folded areas. You know, when I first started working here, I hated washing kale because I never felt like I got it clean (laughs) because it's just so many folds and so many... There, there are some other things that are rather challenging. Too, yeah. That when you say kale, I think, oh, there's other things that are so much more challenging than kale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but and those are perfect examples of where pathogens like to hide on the produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, contamination can come from so many sources like water, your workers, your soil, your tools or animals whether they be your domesticated animals or wild animals. Um, and all of those topics we will be talking about later on throughout the FISMA series that we're, we will be recording. Um, do you guys have anything else to add before we close out? Um, 
from my end, I wrote it. There's there's information readily available out there, um, and I I didn't really ask you to have this prepared, but do you have like an easy site to go to if somebody wants to just jump out and read up on? Um, one of the best sites I think is the Produce Safety Alliance. Okay. Yeah, uh, which comes out of Cornell, and uh, they have they have links for growers, uh, and so so that's a good place to start. Um, producers are always welcome to contact me as well um, if they have specific questions, and I can. If I don't know the answers, I know a lot of people who have a lot of answers, so. <laughs> Uh, I can reach out to other people if I don't know the answer offhand. Rhoda, do you mind uh, giving like an email or a phone number? Sure. Um, I'll give both. Um, my email is Rhoda, R-H-O-D-A dot Burrows, B-U-R-R-O-W-S at S-D-State dot E-D-U. And my phone number is, this is my, my work cell is 605-381-9606. Okay, and we will, uh, on our website, which is uh, just www.bearbutegardens.com, um, Rick is creating a page out there specific to our podcast, but then we'll also have a page specific cool. to links for the FISMA topics. And oh, so we'll okay. throw yeah. all that out there. And each time, if we have another link we want to add, then we'll just keep adding those in so that there should mm-hmm. be a good variety and good wealth of information. And um, people can kind of pick and choose what they want to go listen to, or maybe they'll just want to go straight to Rhoda. Yeah, <laughs> we encourage any type of um, research development in produce safety. Um, we think it's very important. Um, and I would also like to mention that um, all the information that we talked about today, um, I got notes from uh, the Produce Safety Alliance uh, handbook that I received when I took the FISMA training. Um, so it comes straight from there. Um, and then of course we have Rhoda to help with the, um, year to year updates and make sure that everything's correct. Um, cause the last thing we want to do is spread misinformation about food safety. Um, but yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add Rhoda to the discussion today? Just that, that people shouldn't be afraid of approaching the topic. Um, you, you look at your operation, see, you know, what, both what is the biggest risk and what is the easiest change for you to make and make that change. And, you know, you can keep doing that over and over, but whatever you do is one step forward. So pat yourself on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Great advice. I like that. Yeah. Um, You know, produce safety begins with your commitment. So um, stick around for more of these episodes. Um, Whenever they occur, we haven't quite decided on that aspect of this podcast yet, um, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there eventually. (laughs) So, all right. Well, I think that's all we have um, for today. 
So thank you, Rhoda, for calling in and chatting with us about this topic. We really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. It's a great business with you.